Greetings, true believers, and welcome to episode 57 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is the one, the only, the as-seen-on-DC Swamp Thing, Hector. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the podcast. Even till the end of the podcast. Oh, it's so good to be back and into the swing of things. There's so much comic stuff to talk about, so strap yourselves in and prepare yourselves, for we've got comic sign. Uh, better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next song. On today's episode of The Polist, we have a wonderful show for you. Uh, we're going to hit the latest news that you need to know, our must-pull recommendations from the last two weeks, our fave new number ones, and so much more. We might even talk about some of that stuff you see on the little screen in your living room. This is The Polist Podcast. So wandering over into our high-tech newsroom studio, also known as the closet with the, the door on it that I podcast in. Um, we've got some wonderful slash interesting news. Um, I don't know if it's wonderful. Some of it actually is kind of a bummer. So I guess I should start with the bummer news first. But I think it's safe to say that all of us were really, 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 really hopeful that we wouldn't be hearing the words COVID and delay in the same sentence as comic books. But here we are in late August 2021, and DC Comics has released a list of a little over 26 titles that are going to be delayed in some way, shape, or form over the next three to four months. And they're citing supply chain issues related to COVID with port closures overseas and complications of getting stuff from point A to point B. So this time it's not a pencils down um type circumstance, or at least they're not saying that out loud. They're blaming the supply chain. But um, the thing's in the notes for all of you, and it's a long list of DC stuff. So um, if you're looking for certain DC titles over the next couple months, just know that some of them have been slowed down by some of the stuff that's going on, and yay, here we are. Is that uh, Red Hood issue three coming? Is that one of those? <laughs> let's 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 go to the list, shall we? Red Hood is not on this list. Yeah, I guess you're just never gonna get that book. It wasn't even good. I just want an end. <laughs> well, sorry, bro. They're they're at least not throwing that one under the bus, I suppose. But um, yeah, so it is what it is. But I suppose on a now slightly better news front. Uh, we mentioned during our Substack uh, discussion last week that Tinian is moving on from Batman. And so that created the vacuum of the obvious question of who is going to take over the mainline title. And it has been announced that DC's own and like their dude that does the stuffs. I, like, I don't know if it's unfair of me to say this, but I, I feel like it's a good comparison, but for different reasons that Joshua Williamson um, – who I would say is DC's Donny Cates, that literally DC's like, you want to do a book? Here you go. You want to do a book? Here you go. Um, Josh gave us the long, super long run on The Flash, which I thoroughly enjoyed and was super excited for. So I'm interested to see him on a Bat book because he tends to be dialogue heavy, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, the couple times um, we saw him do Batman with like the button and some other stuff I really enjoyed. 
That's a good point. And he usually gets into – he really seems to dig the detective side of him. So I'm wondering if that's going to be kind of the change that we see in the main line going forward. But either way, I think he has done great stuff with DC's uh, content. So it, it'll be interesting to see if this is one of those where we see a very significant shift in the writing style of Batman and the story or – if it kind of holds on to the 90s nostalgia vibe that we've been getting so far with Tinian, but it's hard to say. Fear State is is coming. We were talking about that before the podcast, and we went, hey, we we, we record this for, for people to listen to, so we'll talk about it now that, um, yeah, Fear State's coming. <laughs> um, all the books are going to go into that event, and then something's coming out the other side. And we've been talking about this long stretch of we've been doing the 5G is canceled, but then Future State really felt like 5G. And then we went on this vibe where Future State became part of regular canon and was somewhat confusing. Now we're going to get to Fear State and that can go any direction because I fear whenever you bring the Scarecrow in, you know, was all of this a fever dream? (laughs) And uh. Not going to lie, I I might actually be visibly upset if that's what they're going to (laughs) do to try to fix this. But we shall see. Uh, So either way, we're going to get to see Williamson on a bat book again, and I'm excited. I'm about it. It's good stuff from the DC side of the house. And kind of to tie together some of that DC news that I think is worth talking about here is – we also mentioned when Tinian said he was going to go over to Substack with some of his projects that one of the things he was going to do was the secret history of DC and 5G. And uh, Bleeding Cool thinks they've kind of sussed out what one of those things is and found a discussion where part of Tinian's original plans for his ramp up post Tom King was he legit, no kidding, was going to kill the Joker in Batman 100. And I don't know how I feel about that because we have a lot of books where, A, that discussion is currently going on in real time (laughs) Um, in stuff that is canon adjacent. Because now it's just – well, you know, we got Bat and Cat um, and that that's literally what's happened there, Um, which is technically Tom King finishing out what was supposed to be his original pieces. so now I guess so now that I think what about is it with the fact that a writer, even a qualified writer, feels like in order to tell a good story, they have to kill the Joker? Right. It's I feel like we must be there. Right. Is this is this the jumping the shark and DC's editors actually are doing the right thing and going, we hear you. Yeah, that it's not been done in canon, but we've done it a lot. So what's your angle? And then. Here we are. We kind of all have different sides to this. And and Tinian's draw out of this supposedly was where we were in mainline was, you know, basically the Joker's crime syndicate takes over all of Bruce Wayne's money, take over the Wayne Foundation, just owns everything that is Batman. And now that Alfred's gone, Batman has lost his moral grounding supposedly and that all of that's going to be enough to drive him to the – you know what? I'm done chasing. I'm just going to do the thing. And it's like, okay, I mean, that that's the thing. But 
literally, like you just said, you know, in Bat and Cat, Tom King's like, yep, going to have Selena Kyle take care of that um, for us. And we've seen other Elseworld stories where Batman loses it and does this. And we'll save it for a little later. We, we are going to talk about Titans live action. So if you're not through at least episode three, um, you can stop listening after uh, we finish the news for a little bit because we're going to have that discussion out. But it relates <laughs> to this particular topic. So I got nothing. But it is interesting that he would have aimed for the current Batman 100 to do so. That's a that's a big number book move. That would have been but... going in with him only doing like... 14 issues or something. Yeah, it was going to be super tight. And if you go into and see some of the notes and back and forth, there's some sleuthing that's been done of, was this actually planned and still canceled? Um, Tinian's probably saving that for his podcast <laughs> um, by the sounds of it, because there's some compelling arguments that some of the things that Tom King set up in the end, that that was the direction. But then again, we also knew that by reading Cat, Bat and Cat, whatever the order is, um, that Tom King wanted to get there too. Um, so, question mark? But it does, you're right, it does seem to go to that, okay, who haven't we killed <laughs> multiple times? Or, yeah, well, I don't know. And that's the thing, I, you know, going back to it with... Uh, Kevin Smith, back when he did his, uh, one of his runs on Batman, I don't remember if it was Cacophony or the Widening Guy or whatever it was, um, like, he goes into a whole speech about why he can't let the Joker die, like, Mm -hmm. that he can't be the one to kill him, and, like, I'm like, Kevin gets it, um, you know, Jeff Loeb gets it, when Mm -hmm. they've all been there, but... I don't know. Just killing the Joker seems like you want to put your mark that you're the one that did it in canon. And right. Eh. Yeah. And the more I think about it now is one of the, the time that I picked Batman back up in earnest was at the end of New 52 and the end game run. Where, again, they basically, you know, they juke faked us that that's what was going to happen in end game. That that's another great example that if you look at the end of Snyder's run and read the conversation that occurred between Batman and Joker when Batman had the ability to kill him at the end of New 52 as well. And they literally did that ongoing conversation of the we need each other, which everyone's like, oh, it's so weak. And it's like, no, this is literally the definition of a dependent, codependent relationship. Um, And oh, yeah, that's not healthy, (laughs) but it's the reality of their existence. Um, this is a light and dark side of the balanced force, <laughs> uh, argument. And a lot of people didn't love, um, Endgame. And the more I think about it, the more I actually did like it. Um, even though that after that we got super heavy and things got like real wild for like, no, second. I thought, I thought that was great. <laughs> like, uh, um, there's one of the covers to it too, was like a dragon slayer type thing. Yep. And I loved that, man. Like, I've got that framed somewhere. So, yep, it's it's just one of those things. Comic books will endure forever. And so will the Joker, apparently, because even if you try to kill him multiple times in 
adjacent universes, he'll keep coming back. It's just how the multiverse works. I don't make the rules. Um, so that's a thing. And I guess we'll just have to wait for Tinian to release his series on the secret history of DC and 5G and see if he tells us more of the story. So we'll keep an eye out. And then finally, I have to be the bearer of somewhat bad news, but then confused news on the Marvel side of things because we talked a lot about how wonderful Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil has been because it's been wonderful. Uh, but apparently we've only got three issues to the end of the current arc existence question mark that two weeks ago Marvel kind of came out and said, yep, 36 is it. And then a week after Chip Zdarsky went, is it? And the entire comic book world went, this is why we don't like comics. <laughs> um, so Daredevil is going to end its current existence in some shape or form at issue 36 is what's currently being reported. But Sadarsky and team has said, well, that's the end point of something and something bigger is going to follow. So it sounds like there may be an unannounced event that's going to follow that Chip's going to be the underpinning of. So I'm kind of excited for that. But I also do want to kind of throw something really heavy and hard at the head of whoever created the final issue because they're doing the one thing in comics that just makes my head hurt. So spoiler, not spoiler, because I actually mentioned this the last time we talked about Daredevil and this ends up being a, I hate when Chris is right moment. And that's that Fisk is going to actually marry Mary. And that's going to be the culminating event in 36. So why Chris hates these things? Um, Marvel's done a lot of weddings and in the last two to five years, most of them have been money grabs with tons of variants and absolutely okay, no impact pause. to When have they reality? not been money grabs? I mean, that's fair. Name a Marvel wedding, a genuine Marvel wedding event that felt authentic and wasn't a money grab. I feel like I got to give the first Spider-Man one some credit. Sure, money grab, but that one at least made sense. Yeah, but when was that? A long time ago. <laughs> um, like, I'm pretty sure Stan wrote that. So, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't count. All right. Fair. <laughs> now that we've now that we've established that reality. But yes, that uh, wedding books in between the big two, not just Marvel, have not done great <laughs> as of late because they've either been very gimmicky or actually literally fake weddings. Um, and because we don't have a lot of context for this relationship because it's been so low-key noted in the issues and we literally only are going to get two more books before the actual event, I'm kind of like, huh. But I feel like I have to give some faith in Chip Zdarsky because he's done so well so far that there's a point here. Um, But that's what's happening. So I, I'm going to read it and we're probably going to tell you about it. So stay tuned and keep an ear to the ground because something's happening in the Daredevil universe and that future's coming. That's all I got on that one. So I, I don't know if you had any more news this week. Not a lot jumped out at me for the last two weeks. I meant the Far From Home trailer or No Way Home trailer. That's true. We, we have definitely, we're getting stuff on the screens and 
Tom Holland didn't leak it. It came from somewhere else. <laughs> well, and it's, I just did a whole podcast analysis of the trailer with someone else, but it's just like even then, since the, there's been more stuff that's popped up and just little things like uh, that the suit that uh, Tom Holland is wearing when Ox says hello, Peter, is the same mm-hmm. suit that uh, McGuire is wearing in the third movie. Oh, this this movie is gonna make all of our heads hurt, isn't and it? And so, like, people are saying that that's a deep head fake or a deep fake that that's actually Tobey Maguire when he says "Hello, Peter." Um, oh, dang! Uh, that they're just messing with with the trailer, and then like, uh, you know, people were pointing out Doctor Strange in you yes. know jamas yep. and stuff, and I'm like, the whole thing is frozen. There's ice everywhere. Of course, he'd be wearing like a hoodie and stuff. But then, um, like. You know, uh, surprise, people are saying it's Mephisto. Um, right. Because uh, there's the one poster that's got Peter Parker as the devil. And, right. um, like, there's a... you At one point, like, you hear Strange's voice, but almost demonic, say, be careful what you wish for, Parker. Right. Um, yes. Which leads us to the fact that we're about to get a live-action version of One More Day. Right. And that seems to be where a lot of folks are leaning in on the trailer, and that makes sense. And honorable mention slash semi-spoiler, if you are still reading Spider-Man after Hector and I were like, what happened? And I kept reading because I wanted to see how Sinister War played out. I'm kind um, of reading. So it – it yeah. <laughs> note, note, break, break, uh, possible spoiler. Uh, it it kind of actually is – all Mephisto, um, like legit this time. Yeah, and so I kind of actually want to see how that plays now because, um, we're about to find out. We're about to get a double. Is it a double reveal or a triple reveal of the character we've been following for like thirty issues now? But they did a final panel of the dudes finally picking his thing up, and it's like, so it's not Osborne. And so yeah. Anyway, um. The short answer is Spider-Man, Marvel, it's probably Mephisto. I guess that's just where we are. Huh. I need yeah. to make that a sticker. Right? It's probably Mephisto. <laughs> with like a shrug? Right, with a shrug, yeah. Uh, put Making notes right now. Okay. Yep, yeah, write that down. Uh, I, only, I only want 50% credit. <laughs> Noted. Yes! Uh, so... Yeah, there's lots of stuff going on out there and almost too much for us to keep up with. But that's what you need to know. That's our biweekly look at the industry and delivering all that wonderful inside knowledge. And as always, you can join in in the conversation with Hector and I and all of your other nerdy friends at the Love Thy Nerd Discord or in our Facebook community. So come along with the journey. Tell us what you liked, what you hated, or possibly even what we missed because there's a lot of stuff out there. We probably missed something. Uh, So, yeah. Join us and geek out with us. What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. 
But for today, we actually want to take a slight aside in the middle of our regular scheduled program to bring back our segment of Because It Matters. So we can give like yeah. s- sparkly noises. Sparkly noises. We have our coffee mugs in our hand and like a sweater vest or something. I don't know. It just feels very cozy. Um, you know, Troy and Abed in the morning kind of thing. And I really do need to watch Community. You really do. <laughs> um, so Titans live action is back. HBO Max. And, and Hector, my dude. Um, episodes one through three. So again, uh, spoilery stuff noted here um your boy red hood and (laughs) some stuff some stuff going on here so hector how about we get hector's musings on the opening um three episodes of titans and what they've done with your beloved red hood first of all it's like they put it on fast forward yeah i have Um, to full-heartedly agree with that that's like literally we go from crowbar to red hood the next day and i'm like the actual crap just happened um i'm still uneasy with how they filmed that scene (laughs) and just the joker feeling very cartoony but also very real and i was like wow death in the family just happened like at lightning speed yeah yeah it was a lot and um but also i know there are two episodes i haven't watched yet and that's its own thing um but no it's just like personally it was chilling to see yeah. uh the crowbar scene and everything that was a lot um but like not having a funeral like not having any mourning and like i feel like they jumped not jumped the shark but i feel like investing in that dude to play batman i always forget his name but we know oh, we're talking right. about it. Yep. Investing in him to be Bruce, yeah, I get we get a good, you know, villainy actor, but like none of it, none of him says Bruce Wayne to me, and mm-hmm. uh, or Batman, and uh, he was more believable as Batman on Downton Abbey, um, <laughs> and I, I don't know, it just feels so weak sauce. Now, uh, one of the things that we've heard or that I've heard from friends is that he's too short to be Red Hood. That he oh, was fine yeah. to be Jason Todd because he could still grow into it. <laughs> right. He is a little dude. It and also his voice and everything for me, even with the modulization, I'm like, oh, it, it's little hood. Yeah. Now here's the thing. The with the modulation and everything, he sounded like he was doing his best to do his best Jensen Ackless. Um <laughs> uh and yeah, it's like I get. Oh, look! That's like you're trying to do under the red hood voice. Look at you. Um, <laughs> Aww. And it was great to see certain things, like the classic introduction of him with the double bag full of heads. You know, mm-hmm. that was dope to see. Um, there was the stuff that we've seen, like of just oh, cool! It was cool to see that in person, and. The fact that he was quoting Hamilton when he was fighting Nightwing, that was cute. Um, I don't know. Like, outgunned. <laughs> outmanned. You know the tune. Outgunned. Outmanned. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> I'm, stop. I'm like, of all the Bat family to watch a musical, 
It ain't gonna be Jason. <laughs> Jason is not sitting around watching Hamilton. Although I could be wrong, and although I would actually really enjoy that, just just watch all the the Bat Kids sitting around reenacting Hamilton in the Bat Cave. It'd be fun. Um, yeah. That's an elsewhere. That's an elseworld. I would pick up. I would pick that up. I had, yeah, I could picture Stephanie um, jumping in the cave and Peggy. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> don't sue us, Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, <sighs> too late. <laughs> too late. It's over. Because uh, we're definitely on his radar. Um, but I felt some of it was good. Um, some of it was smart. I don't know. I really liked the whole thing with the little ro- like back and forth with. Um, Hank, um, yeah. but like the him sitting around in a lair, because like when he was making the phone calls and stuff, he was like in a straight up emo villain lair, and right. I'm like, dude, this this isn't Red Hood. Red Hood doesn't have an emo villain lair. It wouldn't have <laughs> neon lights. It's not Joel Schumacher. I meant what's happening, and like the thing with the bomb like okay kind of creative i guess yep. we- weird and we, we had we had a ticking clock uh episode yep we had a ticking clock episode and what i did appreciate about that is um they pulled that back down to uh the end of the under the red hood arc where it was like you got to shoot me to you got to kill him or you got to kill me one or the other type thing um him with the Gun at the end of episode three very much felt like the end of the Under the Red Hood arc right before we jumped into one year later. Mm. Um, I don't know, man. It's cool to see someone dressed like Red Hood on screen. Um, I feel like he should have been killed in episode one. And we got him as Red Hood in the season finale. Hmm. I yeah, feel like, because because now it's where we where are we going? <laughs> yeah, and I agree. There are two episodes I haven't seen yet, but even that, and you know, I love Hawk and Dove and this iteration of them. I thought they were great, um, and so I genuinely am sad at the loss of him. Um, yep, but you know, I I don't know what's happening. Um, I. I also did want to say that one of the positives out of the entire thing is the sure, you know, we talked about it. It feels weird to have that person be Red Hood and but it's been displayed really well playing off from uh, Dick and his Nightwing has been really great. Um, oh, yeah, his but, ni- Dick's Nightwing has been great. And the whole um, ticking clock episode where they're like, we're going to get the solution and everything that you know this this is the spoilery part like everything else but we've already mentioned you know hank hank doesn't make it and it literally is the end of the ticking clock and you know i won't give you the why it happens because that is worth a moment because first of all i was like oh they actually are going to do the superhero thing and it's going to work and when the bomb goes off and he's dead i'm like i legit didn't see that coming for the entire episode (laughs) Um, and I like being surprised by superhero shows. And I thought that they did a really good job of weaving that in and out of 
they're going to make it. Well, maybe they're not going to make it. No, they're going to make it. It's going to be cool. Um, it's, I think it's just good live TV and it's still brooding, which is DC small screen stuff. And the Titans aren't always light. Um, <laughs> this is not teen Titans go fam. <laughs> well, the one thing it did do, it made me miss young justice. Hmm. That's fair. Because, um, you know, Young Justice took three seasons and we just got a glimpse of Red Hood. Just barely. And I'm like, I like that development. I'm like, let's go down that road. <laughs> oh, you, you, you didn't want instant, J- um, instant Red Hood? I would have been happier if we started out with Red Hood in full effect and got flashbacks of how he got there. That's fair. It, it involved a it involved a crowbar. Yeah. Either way, I'm I'm happy it's happening. Um, I'm happy you, Titans is a thing. Um, you know, it's not CW. <laughs> yeah. No, so. I think folks have heard us say before that we're both very much uh, subscribers to the Kevin Smith philosophy on comic book content. Um, on screen and that's that I will be always thankful for the fact that it exists because someday it won't. And for so long it didn't. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm going to watch all the things and I'll have an opinion on it, but I'm still going to watch all of the things because we, we've we got it and it's now. So we're all about it. So I, I have seen at least the I've seen episode four, five dropped just recently before we recorded, so haven't got that in my head yet. Um, so the transition is a little weird, um, but they're transitioning to other people. But oh, <laughs> uh, should should we at least give a shout out to? It feels like the weirdest version to date of Doctor Crane, but so far I'm loving that dude. Uh, it is the weirdest version to date. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's fun. Yeah. Um, I I never really thought of Scarecrow as heavily sarcastic. And I'm kind of liking that version. I was like, I guess the dude is that smart that probably snark is, is where he lives where he's always kind of been a very villainy villain. This version is like, you're like, that dude's evil? And it's like, oh yeah, you could tell that dude's evil, but <laughs> he's very snarky about it. And I guess I guess I didn't know I needed a snarky Dr. Crane, but here we are. That's so, the thing. It's, it's, it's people getting to do their own stuff with things. You get the room for uh, some growth and development. For sure. So... We'll revisit this probably as we see more of the season and see how it unfolds. But we wanted to give you kind of the first glimpse because we do take in all of that comic book content in other forms and format. And with our resident uh, Red Hood specialist, uh, we had to at least spend some time on it. Have you ever been around another person who used a word or phrase that you were absolutely certain that you should know, but you didn't? Well, of course you have. Hey, don't worry, nerd, because we've got some great news for you. You're about to learn something brand new, and this will be useful. Not like that throwaway knowledge like math or science. This is the real world, bub. 
and you need to be able to hold your own in a nerdy conversation. So pull up a chair and pay attention because LTN's got another nerdy definition for you. This week's definition is Eurogame. Now this is a tabletop term referring to a type of game generally originating outside of the US that incorporates indirect player interaction and abstract components. That definition has drastically changed over the years to include US titles and very intricate pieces in some of the games. These types of games differ from their American counterparts in that they don't necessarily encourage direct conflict, drama, or require a significant amount of luck. I'm sure that we're gonna go over those kinds of games affectionately named Ameritrash in a future short, so stay put. Games like Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, Five Tribes, Puerto Rico, and Brass are just a few of the games that fit into this category. And Euro games also tend to be fairly lengthy plays due to the amount of strategy necessary to accomplish your given goal. So, the next time some overenthusiastic alpha nerd starts to talk about how much better Euro games are than any other kind of game, you can lean in and enjoy the show because, well, you understand that reference. This is a great time to transition into the stuff that we actually read uh, during the week. So, uh, Hector, uh, what, what's been in that long box of yours that First has of all, kind of... I need more long boxes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I went three years only doing digital, and now I remember why. Um, <laughs> yep. Because I'm out of space. Like, that's a legitimate problem. You're like, um, oops. So let me just say this. Uh, had it not been for Chris, you know, beating me to the the <laughs> sign-up sheet, this would have been a week where no DC was in my pools, um, in my top pools. Uh, because I was going to drop Moon Knight in there for issue one and two, just cause I know you did one, but I was going to say I caught up, um, and Moon Knight's delightful, but I will, we'll hit that when you get there. Yes, um, it is. It is delightful. So saying that let's jump right into the obvious, uh, Nightwing 83 is the one that would, that came in that place. Um, and I stand firmly by this, that I believe that Nightwing is the best book in DC as far as heart and storytelling. And it very much is the heart of DC books right now. Um, and, and I uh, think that's fair because kind of a side note here is d- don't misunderstand fam. Um, DC books came out. We both read a fair number of DC books. Um, the latest bat and cat came out in the last two weeks. Didn't make Hector's list. Didn't make my list. Um, shrug. I, I can't speak to the why. I'm not sure why you feel, Hector, um, may be the case, but it feels like something shifted in the last month or so in DC writing. Yes. Now, so. granted, these things are not being written right now. These things are long right. written. Yeah. Um, this, these things were written months ago, but there's a shift. Um, and, like, the current detective arc is like, okay. Um, the, the stuff I'm reading is okay. Um, but like, I feel like I have to read this because I have to read this. Um, Nightwing almost every time is delightful. Um, 
it's good. It catches me off guard, but it feels like when I think like it's the thing of uh, I have not watched Ted Lasso yet. Um, Neither have I, and apparently I'm a bad person for it. So yes, all of you that keep telling me to watch it, I'm sorry. Well, and that's the thing. Like I, I legitimately have envy because I want to watch it. I don't have Apple TV, and I'm like I don't know if I want to spend that right now. Where I have to like if I spend, it, I don't know have time to watch it. Um, right. Same. But but I think there's been like a thing of like we need good encouraging positive male figures in every format and um the whole shenanigans of uh nightwing being memory loss and everything else just felt so bad like in the long term just like this is lame um can we all spend a minute and just mourn rick grayson oh rick (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Would have been great if Rick Grayson came back as Rick Grimes. That'd be great. Um, but no, like uh, coming straight into this and getting to see Nightwing be an amazing character, a good heart, getting to see a a really good relationship with him and Barbara, with him and Tim, with the dog, um, and like giving us new character development, like uh. You know, everybody made a big deal about punchline and, you know, characters that is like, okay, cool, you're here. But, like, we got technically a new sister for Nightwing. Um, and the story just keeps developing better with that. Um, and that you've got not only is she Nightwing's sister, but she's been raised by the Zukos. Like, so. It's literally like if if Bruce's parents had a, you know, kid with the chill family. I mean, it's like that. It's of, you know, you're the byproduct of my the people I lost and the people that took the people away. And it's just this weird thing. But she's also got a bunch of layers to her character. So she's only been around for like three issues. But I've really enjoyed seeing her development. Um, we get Blockbuster back, which, you know, Blockbuster gets written off pretty easily. And he's seen him a million forms. But I enjoyed Blockbuster. Um, but also in this villain Heartless, who like literally the uh the last page of the most recent issue of Nightwing, there's a Heartless image, and it literally gave me chills. Like, oh, oh. Um but issue eighty three of Nightwing, we see that uh overall, um Nightwing is in the place that he's inherited all this money from Alfred. And he can't stand the idea of being a billionaire when other people are in need. Mm, Right. And so he's not going to sit on it even for like a day. He goes and he talks to uh, the Titans. He talks to um, some other Bat family. He goes and talks to Superman to get their opinions on what he's planning to do. And I don't want to spoil that because it was actually really worthwhile to read. But honestly, I I got choked up reading the most issue of Nightwing because um, there's they're talking about Alfred, and um, Superman says I really looked up to Alfred, and um, <laughs> Nightwing literally pops his head up. Superman looked up to Alfred Pennyworth. He's like, he was the best and heart of you in all the ways that he raised you guys and loved you and all these things. And he said, I see a lot of him in you. And I'm just like, oh, my feelings. <laughs> and um, My heart. 
my heart it was like it was it was a really really sweet moment and then like uh bruce even chimes in a little bit later with some tenderness and i'm like see this is why i like these characters so yeah um nightwing 83 still the best book in dc um uh but it's the end of an arc so if you just want to pick the six issues up before that um i think that's 77 through 83 um i believe it's a great storyline uh jumping past that eve number four fun story uh like uh i it took me a minute to catch up but it's you know a apocalyptic thing the world is destroyed there's a virus that turns kids into monsters once they hit puberty and one little girl has a vial that has the potential to restart the whole planet terraform terraforming is a nightmare got it (laughs) yes um and the uh the girl is being guided by a robot teddy bear type thing but also turns out that the robot teddy bear also doesn't want humanity to survive (laughs) plot twist yeah he's the the teddy bear is only programmed to keep her alive oh conflicted Um, programming and so like uh the teddy bear legit wants to his his name's wexler by the way uh (laughs) even better yeah it it, it does fit um but you get to see him transform into like giant robots and junk and it's pretty and just start slaughtering things um but like it's just a really interesting story and then uh the Issue three, because we're on issue four is already out. So this this by this point it's not a spoiler. Issue three, they show you that uh she's not the only one. Like oh, interesting. Of her, like uh there were six clones of her made. Oh. She's the youngest and the last. So the fifth version of her is out there and nearing puberty. So at one point in time, she is aided by a version of herself who is about to shuffle off this mortal coil um, because she's about to hit puberty. And so there, there's this, just this beautiful scene of like a little girl who's only known her own mind actually getting to talk to another girl and it's herself. And so she already knows her own fears and doubts and insecurities. It's just a really well-written little piece and for only four issues. So it's that. Um, Buddy Mask 2. I picked up Bunny Mask because it had a cut-out mask on the first issue, and I thought that was cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems about your speed. That seems fair. Go on. <laughs> I was like, this looks novel. I'll try this. Um, and it turned out to be a pretty freaky murder psychological thingy um with a malevolent being that's like i don't know if they're inflicting justice or vengeance picture the specter but with claws and a little girl in a bunny mask yeah that's not creepy um and she's constantly hearing voices telling you know stuff and it's just like this you can see this dude is going down the rabbit hole of his own mental stability. I see what you did there. Hey, oh, look, it's a pun. Um, <laughs> 
Didn't even plan that. Um, Quality podcasting material. Yay. Um, so that it's, I don't have a lot to tell you. Um, that doesn't totally like, cause there's only two issues that I'm aware of. And I don't have a lot to tell you that wouldn't spoil things, but That's like fair, a, a dude prevents a child's murder and witnesses this bunny mask thing. Fast forward 15 years or 10 years or whatever later. Um, they're reconnected, and the bunny mask thing is taking over his life. Hmm. Good, good way to go. So, uh, pro tip: if you are googling information on bunny mask, put the word "comic" after it. Thank me later. Oof. <laughs> yep. Yikes, jinkies! Yeah, um, inter- uh, internet uh, internet rules apply. Oh. Um, so there's that. Um, and the other one uh, for my standard pulls are Doctor Who Missy number four, which that's the culmination of the story. Um, there's only four issues to that story arc. Um, I'm a Whovian. I bleed TARDIS blue. Uh, yep. I have a kid named after a Doctor Who character. It's where we're at in my life. Um, can, can verify. 10 uh, and 10. <laughs> uh, th- this is a four issue arc that picks up uh towards the end of the 12th doctor's run so this would have been season 10 roughly this would have been season 10 era obviously it's doctor who and you can fit wherever you want but uh this would have been right before the uh season the series a season finale of 12 so like before bill and the cybermen for those who care about that stuff um but uh, it's the Twelfth Doctor and Missy uh, on their own adventures, and the Twelfth Doctor and Missy. Missy loves to make fun of the Doctor being the Doctor, so she's like, "I'm Doctor Who," and like she <laughs> she does all the meta fourth wall breaking stuff. But uh, we've it's a four issue arc where basically Missy is pretending to be the Doctor, and she's tag teaming with an older version of herself or himself at that point in time, the master, she breaks the master out of a prison and Missy and the master travel along the doctor and the master's timelines looking for something. And so you get their current interactions past and present on a bunch of key moments in Doctor Who. And you get to see Missy be her best. And Mickey, Missy is one of the best creations in New Who. Period. Mm. Um, and for her to get a four issue arc. Where she just gets to shine. And you get a little bit of the 12th Doctor. It's pretty brilliant. Um, I wasn't ready to get River Song. Um, and literally. I turned the page and saw the curls. And geeked out um so you get a little bit of river song not a lot but a little um but i i read the first issue like when it first dropped months ago and stopped caring just because i didn't have time to read comics um but i read all four of them this week and it was delightful so if you're a who fan uh doctor who missy um there's only four issues totally worth it that's me Cool. 
Uh, I can honestly say I haven't looked into the Who comics. I always see them because Titan does a really good job of getting the word out on them. Um, but I guess I'm just not Whovian enough, which makes me a bad person. I know this. Because I think in my watch through, man, I don't even remember. I'm barely in the 10th Doctor? Yeah. There goes all my nerd cred. It's good. Um, so yeah, what I read. I read some stuff. So, um... Yeah, no DC stuff. You kind of hit that part. Um, but this is now the second show in a row that I think I have more than one Marvel book. In fact, most of my stuff is Marvel this time. Uh, so I should probably take it in that order. Um, I've been talking about Strange Academy since it came out at number one. Well, Strange Academy number 12 came out in the last couple weeks, and it is the end of the run. Um, so... You now have the entire story of what happens when Doctor Strange basically runs a Hogwarts for X-Men kids and um, mutated and or gifted magic wielders, etc. from across the multiverse. And everything that you expect to happen basically does. Scotty Young paints a wonderful picture. I mean, it is it is Scotty Young art and it, it is beautiful. And the last issue has got a lot going on. But it is basically that feel-good high school um, storyline that it's got all the things that it has all the pretty much almost all the tropes that you would expect, like parents' day and field trips and like all that stuff, except that it's X-Men and magic wielders and that they're teenagers figuring out how their powers work and that that doesn't work out so great. And then the big bad comes along and tries to mess with all of them. But at the end, all of them bound together and... They succeed in life and they have wonderful, wonderful memories of a truly horrific experience. Um, so I don't know. I still say that, you know, I don't know if like I can't say the story was like mind blowing or anything like that, but it's a great looking book. It's a complete distraction from like super serious comics or stuff that are kind of very superhero y, but has that content in them. So I'm going to say, yeah, you, you should pick this up and you should read it because it's pretty and it tells a great story and it's completely mindless, which sometimes some people out there are going to get this. Um, and I don't know, Hector, you and, you and I read so much stuff and some of it like is really narratively heavy, like Tom King, Batman dragging his dead mom around in the desert to <laughs> pause on, on that note real quick. Um one of the things that I forgot on the, or I, that had kind of a revelation about the desert thing. Um, I was reading one of Tom's political posts because if you aren't aware, Tom served in the military in Afghanistan. Oh. Uh, and he was, you know, militarily involved in Afghanistan for a hot while. And so he said, I'm not going to be commenting on what's happening in Afghanistan uh, on my Twitter, I'm just going to keep it comics, etc. But know that I spent years there fighting there, doing these things, blah, blah, blah. And so when you mm. go back and look at the dragging your dead mom through the desert thing from someone who actually spent years in military service dealing with grief and loss and stuff while you're in the desert. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. I was like, oh. I was like, uh, just that one tweet of his backstory, like, really put it into perspective. I was like, there's something there. Like, that's one yeah. of the reasons why I guess we visit the desert so often in that run. So there you go. 
So yeah, there you go. Like literally in the in the middle of talking about something kind of bonkers and off the wall, you you get that reminder. So yes, um, there are comics from across the entire spectrum, but this is one of those like you can disconnect your brain and enjoy. So Strange Academy, not dragging your dead mom through the desert, um, but literally the opposite of beautiful colors and kind of off the wall. Just what you expect from a teenage story. Uh, except that all those kids have mutations or powers. Um, the next book is another one that I've been talking a lot about out of Marvel, and that's Nonstop Spider-Man. And I've told you before, I will repeat it now, that the title of the book is literally the point. It is nonstop, that the story has... That man in... is nonstop. Sorry. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you got it. Um, how many Hamilton references have we gotten up to? <laughs> Not okay. Not important. Hey, um, uh, there might be more. You're just gonna have to right. wait for it. Yeah, I am. For the record, I am not everybody's favorite fighting Frenchman. But <sighs> see, too easy. Um, count it. But nonstop Spider-Man uh, number four. This book literally does just it's breakneck speed. That as a story ends, the next one literally just starts, and it's almost confusing but it's the point it's that peter hasn't stopped moving since the first panel of the first book um and that's really freaking creative when you get down to it and you start absorbing this is a it's a beautiful book like i was really impressed um with how it's laid out with the action and everything there's some neat stuff done with panels there's a lot of full uh two-page spread type stuff in it but it literally is he solves something and like the next bad guy is like standing at the edge of the battle. So it's like that Scott Pilgrim feel of this is just never going to stop. Um, but Peter is at 200% snark um, during this whole thing. And I really would love to see this in a, a la uh, Into the Spider-Verse animation because this story would feel really cool done that way. Um so if you're looking for another break, yes, it's a superhero book, but it's so fast and there's actually not a lot of dialogue in it because of that. They're trying to push the action panel to panel, page to page, that it just keeps going. Um, and it's really kind of a unique thing for comics and I dig it. I'm all about it. So much love to the Peter Parker in, in this universe because he not getting a break. And that brings me to our final Marvel book on my list, and then I'll save my indie for the very end. But um, And it's Moon Knight. Insert shocked faces, because I love me some Moon Knight, and Spectre is still just being um, crazy. Um, and we have noted that they show us an example in this particular story that we know it's Spectre um, out of the four personalities at the moment. They actually give us a visual visual cue to let us know, even though for folks that know Moon Knight, they should know that the person we've had so far is definitely Mark Spector. Um, but he's still taking on clients. He's still punching stuff in the face at night. Um, his helper apparently is a vampire. So when stuff happens, like <laughs> we have a very, I'm a vampire, but I'm a good vampire. And the dude comes in all bloodied and she's like, can't do this out. And I was like, Okay, that, that's meta funny right there because even Spectre, all of them were like, what, what just happened? And it's like, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> 
And so this book is just going to keep being silly, but is also going to get into the weird. And those are all the things that I love about Moon Knight. So I'm just excited to see how that plays out. I know you kind of came to the same conclusion. I don't know if you have anything to add. I don't need to jump up and down on it. Just be reading Moon Knight if you're looking for a very different feel from Marvel. And just say it was just it was the breath of fresh air, kind of refreshing. Felt mm-hmm. like a good Marvel book. So right, so. it's it's fast paced and it's fun. So, and I think literal craziness is going to come because that's just that world. This week in nerd history, you're getting old, Harry. Nerd history. In just a couple months, the movie version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone will turn 20 years old. Sorry, you had to hear that. But of course, the book is even older. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, as it was originally titled for release in the UK, was Joe Rowling's debut novel, and one she worked on for over six years. Several publishers passed on the book because it was too long for their liking, coming in at about 90,000 words before edits. Young adult novels rarely went above 80,000, and many were half that. And even though the final draft of the book came in at just under 77,000 words, every book after broke the 80,000 word barrier, with Order of the Phoenix topping the series with 257,000 words between its covers. While Philosopher's Stone released in the UK in June of 1997, the US rights were purchased by Scholastic the April before for $105,000, which was significantly higher than average. The book was then released in the US on September 1st, 1998, under the name Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because Scholastic thought the word philosopher would sound too archaic for American readers. Within a year, Sorcerer's Stone topped the New York Times list of best-selling fiction and stayed at or near the top for much of 99 and 2000, until the New York Times was pressured into separating the list into two separate lists, an adult fiction and a children's fiction list, because publishers wanted to give their books a fighting chance. Currently, the book has been translated into 80 languages, including Latin and even ancient Greek. Safe to say, it's cast quite a spell on all of us. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more As we close out for today, uh, what's that number one that you picked up that others should be looking at? Um, my number one was I picked up X-Men The Trial of Magneto, number one, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, you don't have to have a ton of background information because I know there's 40 million X-Men books. Just a few. But, uh, just a few. But uh, And this is on the cover, so this isn't a spoiler. Uh, Scarlet Witch is dead. Um. And that's not a big deal in mutantum, right? Because you can resurrect people. Uh, right. Scarlet Witch isn't a mutant. <laughs> womp womp. Um, her and Quicksilver are a different breed of something. And so she does not qualify for resurrection protocols on Krakoa. Right. And they even bring it to a vote of, should we allow this non-mutant to be resurrected? And... The council's like, no. And uh, Magneto is, obviously by the title, it's the trial of Magneto because all of the evidence points towards Magneto. Um, And Magneto's on the council. So you get three or four different X-Men teams investigating this thing, and it comes to a head with a giant battle of everybody and their mama versus Magneto. Which, I just gotta say, if you want to give a self-sustaining 
satisfying X-Men book, you throw everybody and your mama at Magneto, and you got it. So, I think it's a good choice right now to do this on the heels of WandaVision, where people that don't know a lot about Wanda can still jump in and say, oh, I identify with this character now, and go. Um... So it's fun, and basically all you need to know is Wanda went to the X Men gala, or the the the, the X Men gala, and never came home. And they're investigating her murder. Fun. Mm. Okay. Uh so my choice is weird. That's what I got for you. Weird. So Echo Lands number one from Image. Um is really difficult for me to describe what the plot is because I'm still not 100% sure. But it seems to be taking place in a world that is high fantasy crossed with alternate history, um, I think is a fair way to describe what I'm seeing. Um, You're following a protagonist that is fighting lots of stuff that appear to be some type of Nazis that I don't know why they're Nazis, but... She feels very D&D with her adventuring party in this world. So that's why I say high fantasy alternate history because I got nothing. Um, But it's very action packed. It is very mature. Um, But this book, I took it out of uh, the bag and board and I realized that the staples were not on the long side. They, They were on the short side. The entire book is printed in the landscape position, not. The portrait and it is laid out that way so it is long um but it's the same size as a regular comic book but it is oriented in the opposite direction i'm generally not one for gimmicks but i'm not sure this is a gimmick as it was an artistic choice because it has completely changed the space and the panel layouts for a book so if you're looking for something that is just wild but is really well drawn and again is incredibly violent um and want to see what storytelling feels like flipping, literally flipping the script of comics on its side, uh, pick it up. Uh, I, I'm i curious to read number two to see where it is going, to see if we get some structure. I get a first book, usually, especially out of image, is to shock us or to get us. Um, and they do that. So I'm going to need number two to know for sure what's really happening. But if you're just looking for something different, I always want to provide you options that may be artistic choices and you're either going to love it or hate it. So that was kind of my number one. Um, I wish I had more to say about it, but if you're looking for that really high action, um, fairly mature, but doing something artistically different, Echo Land's number one is it for me. And that's going to do it for us here at the Polis Podcast. Episode 57 is now in the books and now in your ears. Hector and I want to thank you for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on a near-weekly basis, so don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and so many more. There's just so many places you can give us those five stars. Uh, and we thank you for coming along for the ride. And let's see... Nah, I don't have a Hamilton reference on the way out. So thanks for listening. And remember, kids, read, read more, more comics. comics because history has its eye on you. The master of epic duel.